So today we're continuing to work our way through the Gospel of Mark. In the first two-thirds of the Gospel, Mark gives a concise and vivid account of Jesus moving from town to town, region to region, spreading his message. This message is that the kingdom of God has come. The Son of God has come to earth. He has authority to forgive sins as believers repent and have faith. Jesus subsequently goes to Judea and to Jerusalem and to the cross. So as we work through the gospel and Jesus' movements are documented and layers of evidence are built up, it becomes clearer and clearer who Jesus is. We see what he came to do and uh, what the believer's faith and life should look like. So Mark doesn't record these things for just vague repetition just to pad out the length of his gospel. He actually does it um, to explain how the history, um, how Jesus went from place to place, um, being no social media, and um, he taught different things as time went on. So, but in this process, there were some common threads, including his teaching, his miracles, and his conflict with the Pharisees. So, his authoritative teaching um, was referred to in Mark one twenty-seven. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, "What is that? What is this? A new teaching and with authority." He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. So Jesus' teaching was uh, revolutionary and distinctive. They came to, the people came to refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher. Another thread through these chapters uh, is Jesus' miracles. So they certainly, for a start, show his compassion, but the miracles also vindicate his teaching. They revealed before the Pharisees his uh, claim to forgive sins. Um, He's also described as the son of God by the demons he cast out. Jesus' miracles mean that uh, his teaching needs to be taken seriously. A further thread uh, in these chapters in Mark is the massive conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the religious heavyweights in Israel. They were obsessed with following the fine detail of the ceremonial law, including as to how to observe the Sabbath. And in fact, they were so spiritually blind that um, they were opposed to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. So it didn't even go through their minds that Jesus had the ability to heal, but that it was on the wrong day of the week. So Jesus, in turn, exposed the Pharisees' hypocrisy and their obsession with this external compliance, but also the darkness of their hearts. They had no internal relationship with God and uh, did not seek to please him from the heart. Now, the Pharisees did not tolerate being exposed as hypocrites. They quickly resolved to kill Jesus In Mark 3, um, we see, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. 
So these threads of teaching miracles in conflict with the Pharisees continue through Mark. This is evident in today's passage uh, with the feeding of the 4,000, the demand by the Pharisees for a sign and Jesus' warning about the dangers of the Pharisees' teaching. So first, the feeding of <coughs> excuse me, the 4,000. Now, it'll probably surprise you, perhaps surprise you a lot, that at midweek I actually do quite a bit of cooking in the house. And um, if dinner's not ready on time, my daughter Carly um, prompts me by saying, I'm feeling a bit peckish, don't you? So, but in, in uh, Mark 8, we see there was a massive crowd that was following Jesus uh, by the Lake of Galilee for three days, and they would have been feeling a lot more than a bit peckish. Um, most of the crowd would have well and truly run out of food by day three, and on top of this, they would have been exhausted after sleeping rough for two nights. Um, they were in a remote place, far away from food supplies. It's a bit like a rock festival. Think of a rock festival without the music, without the food and um, without tents. So that's the situation. Well, this begs the question as to why the crowd put themselves in this position. How old... Sorry... Why did they stay with Jesus for a whole three days? Um, it was more than Jesus was a little bit intriguing. If they had a bit of an interest in him, they would have stayed for only a couple of hours, um, but they stayed for three days. And Jesus was, in fact, performing miracles. He was casting out demons and um, he was teaching in a way they'd never heard before with unique authority. Three aspects of Jesus' character stand out in the feeding of the 4,000. First, we see Jesus' heartfelt compassion for the people, his awareness of their basic needs. He was acutely aware that the crowd had stayed for three days to hear him teach. Uh, he realised that they would struggle physically to get home. There were no buses to catch, no Maccas for breakfast lunch, morning tea, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. As F, That's the diet of our fellowship. So no Maccas. Jesus, but Jesus was compassionate. <clears throat> but on top of this, Jesus had the power uh, to do something. He was able to feed them with seven lo loaves and three small fish. So I'll just get my feeding kit. Sorry, I didn't bring any um, fish with me, but here's a few loaves. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So Jesus gave thanks for the bread or the loaves. He um, broke it and he gave it out. And as, as you know, um, he fed 4,000 people with it. So I was, told, I was told this morning that 
Uh, the population of Inglebone is 18,000. Um, so it's do your own fraction, um, 18,000 divided by 4,000. So he was feeding about a quarter or a bit less of Inglebone with, these, with his bread. So Jesus is compassionate, but he's also powerful. The third thing we see about Jesus is that he provides in abundance. Um, these people hadn't eaten for three days, so they were more than a bit peckish. They were hungry. Uh, when Jesus provided their food, you see there that um, they ate till they were full. And the residue after feeding them was um, seven baskets so of each of those loaves of bread, a basket was left over after people were fed. So feeding shows these three vital aspects of Jesus. He's compassionate, he's powerful, and he provides in abundance. These characteristics will be examined later in Mark in the context of the cross. Uh, we'll see that Jesus' love and compassion for mankind is so great, so profound, that he allowed his body to be broken, not bread, but his body to be broken in cruel sacrifice. And this sacrifice unleashed the power of the, of the salvation, the salvation that brings life and life in abundance for believers in this world and the next. So for each one of us now, today, if we repent and believe, we'll be freed from our failing bodies and from our fight with sin. We'll also spend eternity with the, the, our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus. So in this life, we're the recipients of Jesus' compassion and concern and power. He loves us more than we can imagine. Um, he's sovereign over our lives, and even when we think he's far away. So that's feeding of the 4,000. The next thing is the dodgy request for a sign. After the miracle of the feeding, um, the, Jesus and the disciples go across the lake. I'm not sure if they were sailing or rowing, but they sailed to a place, uh, Dalmanutha. So at that point, he's approached by a group of Pharisees. Now, they would have been wearing their Pharisee gear, um, their Pharisee scarves and cloaks, um, their Pharisee sort of things of verses tied to their foreheads and their arms. So a group of Pharisees approached Jesus and in verse 11 of Mark 8, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Now the Pharisees asked for a sign but they asked Jesus with false motives uh, to catch him out so that they could arrest him. What is hard to process again is how stubborn and blind and hard-hearted these Pharisees were. Some or all of those in this group would have seen or heard of the miracles already, but as I said before, they were focused on uh, what so they saw as a problem of healing on the Sabbath or who Jesus um, ate with. Jesus didn't indulge their pathetic request at all. 
is very direct and in verse 12 says, He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to it. So, after the feeding and after this refusal to provide a sign, we're brought back to verse 15 to bread imagery. Uh, Jesus sternly warns the disciples of the yeast of the Pharisees' teaching. So what's yeast? Well, you can buy yeast in aisle five at Coles. So when I make bread, I take 300 grams of uh, flour and 100 grams of water and as I go, I uh, add the yeast to it um, and I make this a doughy lump. Two teaspoons of yeast is in the mix. So once the dough has the consistency that I want, I put the lump of dough with yeast aside so that the wheat do- sorry the, ye- the, w- the yeast does its work, working through the whole lump of dough. The dough expands as the yeast does its work and more, most important, the nature of yeast is that although it's of small volume, uh, it'll gradually and steadily change the original nature of the dough. But once, once the process is underway, it's impossible to stop. Well, the Pharisees' teaching had certain characteristics um, that gradually and steadily uh, took it away from any semblance of true faith. The Pharisees added to religion. They added rules and regulations on top of the Torah or the, lo- the law given to Moses. But importantly as well, they also had no heart faith. Now, Jesus was brutal to the Pharisees in uh, Mark 7, verses 6 to 8. So it's quite clear. He replied, Israel, sorry, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it's written, the people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching, teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding, holding on to human tradition. So there's a massive danger Uh, when we cut ourselves loose from the Bible as our sole authority. Um, We're exposed to our faith becoming ideas or theories or man-made rules. This process can happen slowly uh, at first, but then it can build up potential and cause a lot of damage. It can make shipwreck of an individual's faith or a church's faith or even a denomination's faith. And this is why we need good Bible colleges and well-trained ministers. It's one thing to drill down into scripture and um, get a good understanding of it, which is what we should do, but it's another thing uh, to conjure up doctrines and practices and add them uh, as authoritative next to the the Bible. Well, the other um, hazard Jesus refers to is hypocrisy. The Pharisees um, held themselves out as holy, um, but they had no heart relationship with God. And it's our personal walk with God that's at the heart of our faith, the core of our faith. Ours is a faith of relationship, uh, not external observance. God wants us to have joy, 
in our walk with him. Now, surely our emotions will go up and down. Sometimes they go up and down based on what we ate yesterday. Um, But also um, we can struggle for days or weeks or months or even years. But the joy that we have in our faith is something deeper. So what we need to do is to come humbly before God every day and repent of our sins, as we did earlier in the service, and be nourished from God's word, the Bible. And we need to be taught and sustained by the Spirit. Now, the disciples that Jesus is talking to here um, are the nucleus of the church, which was to come under massive uh, pressure in the very near future, and many of them would be martyred. Um, They need to have crystal clear beliefs and a vivid personal relationship with God. So what's the way forward? In this passage in Mark 8, we've looked at three chunks, seemingly three quite separate things. We've looked at the feeding of the 4,000. We've looked at Jesus' refusal to give a sign to the Pharisees and his, also his warning to the disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees. Well, one way to sum up what we've learned is to ask who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, and what our faith is supposed to look like. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the son of God. He came to bring in the kingdom of God to preach the gospel that a right relationship with God has been made available through repentance from sins and belief in Jesus' work on the cross. So that is who Jesus is. What is Jesus like? Well, Jesus is compassionate and powerful. He loves us more than we can imagine. He gives us life in abundance in this world and the joy of eternal life with him when we die and when we're released from sin and the limitations of our failing bodies. So what's our faith supposed to look like? Our status is changed before God when we repent and believe. However, unlike the Pharisees, God is working in us uh, internally through our minds. So as it says in Romans Romans 12 from verse 1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This transformation that's at work in believers will generate a unique character of love that will build up the church and also challenge outsiders as to the shallowness of a life without Christ. So Romans 12 verse 9 reads, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that 
We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your power and that you provide in abundance. We thank you that you do this in our day-to-day lives, but more importantly that we have eternal life secure in you um, and that you provide this through the power of the cross. Lord, um, help us to be loving, loving in our families, loving to each other and loving in the wider community. So may this love be sincere, help us to be devoted to one another, to honour one another, um, to keep our spiritual fervour. Amen.